As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted today to be joined. By John McKenzie. Hello. How are you doing, buddy? Good, thanks. Yeah, good. Mm. Excited about the podcast? Very. Good stuff. Well, I'm excited too because you and I are joined by baby boy Pinder. It's Reuben Pinder. <laughs> the cherub return. How are you doing, buddy? Okay. <laughs> I'm very well. How are you? I'm lovely. I'm lovely. Well, now, listen. We Hey. <laughs> it's a salty beginning. Uh, we are here today. We'll be joined by Seb Stafford Blore a bit later to talk about some serious adult stuff. But before we get to that, uh, so much to go through today. My first question was going to be, has anything happened since I uh, went away? (laughs) Um, Podcast got better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't doubt it. Liverpool and Arsenal will discuss that big game of the weekend. Or, Well, was it the biggest game? Who could say? Because Wrexham also played. So we discuss Wrexham a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, Daddy Frank, Frank Lampard is home. We talk about him and granddaddy uh, Hodgson. Hodgson, who we talk about also. That's Crystal Palace there. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, deep in the depths of the midfield of Manchester United. And, of course, uh, the Ruben Pinder, John McKenzie derby happened. That's Crystal Palace leads. was a flash result there, too. Um, We also learn how to properly say the word harbinger. And the definition of that, and John does some Latin, don't you, John? <laughs> I did a bit yeah. of Latin, yes. Thrill for you, yes, you, buddy. You really spoiled me. Yeah. Now, listen, if you want to be spoiled and or spoil another, you should visit The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where I believe in my absence last week, Adam Crafton blew the roof off the place by uh, publishing a piece all about some uh, uh, freedom of information request emails from the government. Yeah? Now that sounds boring. It certainly sounds more boring than the first read I did. (laughs) But that one was changed for legal reasons. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it isn't boring. And we talk about that extensively with Seb Stafford-Bloor in today's uh, podcast. So if you are not uh, a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to read Adam's piece, as I highly encourage you to do so, then do visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO where you can avail yourself of a 30-day free trial to trial for free for 30. Okay, fine. Are we ready to go? In which case I will leave you with the warm hands and the cool embrace of the smallest, tiniest little baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's Reuben Baby Boy Pinder. (laughs) We can't do that every time. (laughs) 
We can uh, and we will. Uh, okay. How little you know, Joe. Uh, yeah. Dog. Liverpool 2 Ars- Oh 2 Oh Ars- you no! did it I did it wrong Yes I oh. won I finally did it right Imagine that Stick with it uh, Liverpool 2 Arsenal 2 um, What a game this was For the neutral As I believe they say I can't imagine it was much fun For either Liverpool Or Arsenal uh, fans But uh, John A game for the neutral a game for the neutral and a game for the tacticians as well. Was That's it? Quite interesting. Yes, I thought so. I thought second half very hard to analyse. First half second, a bit easier. Yeah, second half devolved, let's say. But the first half, um, well, the interesting thing that happened was that Liverpool started inverting Trent Alexander-Arnold really early in the build-up, which they've mm. not really done before. No. Um, and yeah, I made a video looking at why that might have been the case. But against against teams who build out from the back, Arsenal have a really aggressive press. So my su- supposition is, is that... Um, part of the reason was just to break the, the structure of their press a little bit. Um, get Alexander-Arnold into situations, slightly different situations. So not only in possession, because we all know about inverting fullbacks, but out of possession he was doing a lot of um, transition, transitioning into the back line in behind Canate. So Canate was quite far out wide. And then he would, uh, Alexander-Arnold was dropping into the space between him and uh, Virgil van Dijk. Almost in the kind of where you would expect a centre-back to be. Yeah, I mean, in, in a defensive transition moment, often what will happen is if your fullback is advanced up the field, even if they're playing traditional wide role, your centre-back comes out wide to the to a player getting in behind them and they drop in behind. But or when a midfielder drops in there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I think in this situation, maybe reduces the amount of space that, that Alexander-Arnold has to travel back to, mm-hmm. to um, actually help out. Um, but yeah, for me, that was mainly about... Well, it's the the reason why you why you invert fullbacks, right? That you change the structure in possession, you allow access into your wide player a lot easier because you make the opposition's forward press quite narrow. Um, the problem was was that well, they were playing like Arsenal. The problem was is that Arsenal very quickly just changed the pressing shape. So they um, the idea was, I think, to pull Martinelli out of the wide areas. But mm. after about five minutes, Arsenal just put Martinelli out on Canate rather than on. Alexander Arnold, and then they sort of shifted their press around a little bit. Quite impressive that they did that within five minutes, right? I mean, does, yeah. that, does that show Arteta's, I don't know, sort of ability to make decisions quickly? I think that because Liverpool were playing the structure that Arsenal usually play, I don't think it would have been that hard for the Arsenal players to get their heads around what happened there. Um, so they'll know why they're doing it. So it will just be a case of of them being like, well, we know why we do it. Let's just move things around. They went a little bit more aggressive. They had, I think, Gabriel pressing on Salah rather than Zinchenko and then Zinchenko coming inside so that Xhaka could push forward onto onto Trent Alexander-Arnold. So mm. they just sort of shuffled everything around. And then it just became a question of like who is better at building up out of that shape. Um, For most of the first half, that was Arsenal. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, the idea of, I think, inverting your fullback is that you make the, the build-up shape quite narrow. It opens up spaces in the wide area so you have better access to your wide players if you want to. And if you're a team like Arsenal, you've got someone like Zinchenko inverting, you can actually build up through the middle quite nicely as well because he's a he's he's good on the ball in that situation. And I don't think that Trent Alexander-Arnold's skill set maybe lent itself as much to that. Mm. Um, in the second half, I thought that Liverpool made a few changes to help themselves out because of the, one of the things I noted in the video is that you were seeing 
the wide players passing the ball into Salah. He's receiving back to goal and the defender's right up behind him. So it's really hard for him to turn and actually get any benefit from having easy access to the ball. Whereas with Arsenal, what they do is this thing that Arteta's been doing all season, which is um, dropping across and making a run so that you, are, you, you and the ball end up moving in the same direction. So it's a much more dynamic way of receiving the ball. Mm. It helps you progress the ball more. And they actually did that for their goal. Um, in the second half, uh, Liverpool started doing dropping out the eights a little more into the wider areas, so um, that helped them progress the ball down the field. They also got a goal that, towards the end of the first half, right, which meant that it was was that right one one at half time. It went in two uh, one at half two one at half time. Sorry, yeah. of course, because Arsenal went two 0 up. Yeah, mm. and I think once the goal difference got to only re- was reduced to just one. Um, I think Arsenal started feeling the pressure, so they naturally started sitting a little bit deeper as well, which mm-hmm. aided Liverpool's ability to progress the ball. And yeah. I think towards the second, the end of the second half, it felt like watching Liverpool last season when they would just force teams back. They were able to progress the ball, so teams just got forced back. Yeah. Um, and then you, it's just a case of trying to break down that low block. Well, I want to come back and, and discuss that a bit, bit more. Um, but staying with the first half for, for now... It did feel, Ruben, as though Arsenal had the opportunities in the first half to maybe sew, sew the game up. Um, I'm not so certain that there were there were that significant a number of very clear-cut chances. But in terms of Saka and Martinelli running in behind, it did. It felt like they probably could have scored four in the first half. Yeah, and it also felt like every time the ball went over Trent's head, as every team does, yeah. um, as John was kind of explaining, Canate would get dragged out wide. And for the second goal in particular, you can tell that Van Dijk is kind of and Robertson are stuck in this odd position. Gabriel Jesus exploits it really well. But if the defensive line, you know, if Canate hadn't rushed out there and Trent was able to cover that space, then maybe Van Dijk would be in a better position to defend that cross. Um, But yeah, Arsenal, like Arsenal fans will have said before the game, if we go to Anfield and get a point, like that's not bad because their record there was pretty poor beforehand. And it, you know, this season, you don't really know what Liverpool you're going to get. This felt like, the team that beat United 7-0, but Arsenal being much better than Man United rather mm. than the Liverpool team that just kind of doesn't do anything this this season. So they'll be happy in a sense with that point, but the fact that they went 2-0 up and they were really dominant in the first kind of 30, 40 minutes and they had other chances as well. There was the big switch from Jesus to Saka that then he got back at the far post. If that goes in, then it could be completely different. Mm. Um, there was a moment in the game as well, a much discussed moment, Ruben, where Xhaka uh, uh, and Trent Alexander-Arnold clashed, mm. had a bit of a Barney, um, and uh, according to all, it lifted the Anfield crowd, which yeah. is the only thing required for Liverpool to, to score goals. <laughs> it turns out it's just all you need is people in the crowd to... Uh, no. I mock that. Of course, I understand the impact that that can have on, on a football team. Um, what did you make of that? Because the, the commentary team were very clear that Xhaka uh, was a, a big old fool. Well, that is the narrative with Xhaka, isn't it? But um, he's done a lot less a lot fewer foolish things this season because mm-hmm. he's playing in a better system that protects him and he's probably just growing up a little bit but initially I felt very stupid after the game because I thought that was quite clever from Xhaka to just provoke Trent Alexander-Arnold enough to get him booked mm. and then you leave him unable to really put a tackle in on Martinelli because he might get sent off which may well have been what the intention yeah, was yeah um, so that he, he probably thought he was being smart but then there's the whole intangible atmosphere kind of thing, but then the statistics pre Jacker's yellow card and Trent's yellow card at the same time, Liverpool had only had four shots. I don't think any of them were on target. Post Jacker's yellow card, they had 17 shots. Yeah. Quite a few of them were on target. So it did kind of shift the momentum of the game. But yeah, if only, if only we could quantify how much the cop sucking the ball into the net actually mattered. Can we? You know? 
No. They're working no. on a model, I'm sure. <laughs> Damn it. Optera, Optera on it, yeah. The XD expected decibels. <laughs> I, I did think that like, a lot of the, the narrative was, was sort of angled at the beginning by the fact that obviously Arsenal are very good, they're top of the league. Uh, I didn't think that Liverpool were as bad as people were suggesting. I think as soon as the first goal went in, everyone was like, oh, here we go, it's Arsenal doing yeah. their thing. I thought it, it was quite a balanced game where, where Liverpool got caught out in a couple of defensive situations, which we know is what they're not very good at this season, right? They, they, they play such an aggressive line that they have to be super on the triggers of, of when the line pushes up and drops back. They also have to be really aggressive on the, the opposition ball players to make sure it's hard for them to play over the back line. And I think that's where they've, they've been let down a little bit this season. But mm. in terms of what they were doing in possession, I thought they were, they were doing some good stuff. Um, and I think that was, that, that was then exacerbated by this idea that they had nothing and then suddenly this event happened and then yeah. they got good. I, I, I don't think it it's is interesting, quite though. so simple as that. I, it, I, I always find it interesting to talk to you. And I used to find it interesting to talk to Alex Stewart about these things too. You, but you being someone who dispassionately analyzes football from the perspective of a tactician, looking for what's happening on the field and or imagining what the kind of coach instructions are in order to try to understand what's happened, right? Uh, but then there are some things that, because as Ruben said before, some things you can't quantify, the, the Anfield crowd being one of them, uh, you know, whether a player's having an on day or an off day, as an example of. Um, but Liverpool this season, I asked you about it over the weekend and you gave, I asked you what's going on with them and you gave me like an on-pitch response, which was accurate, I thought, yeah? Mm -hmm. But what it missed was like, I think, that they're mad, right? There's like a psychological element to this, which is not easy uh, or possible really to quantify in, in the data or to be completely certain about. We can only guess, I suppose. But it doesn't make sense to me that this team can be look as shaky as they did in moments in that game in the first sort of 30 minutes or so. And they did have good moments too, but they, as Ruben mentioned before, like at times they look like the team that beat Man United 7-0. At times they look like the team that's lost whatever, how many games this season. Uh, that game totally could have gone either way. Like, I don't know. Do you think they're in their own heads or something? Like, what well, is the possible psychological scenario? Here? Weirdly, I do. Th I do think momentum mattered in that game. Yeah. Because I think the reason why Liverpool enjoyed the second half is because Arsenal were doing something different, which is they weren't pressing as aggressively. Yeah. And, and causing them those problems. So, whenever any of these things these things happen, I'm, I'm always thinking about the game state because. You know, we've seen Liverpool being great in games this season. We've seen Liverpool be awful in games this season. I can't, mm. I, I can't just simply explain it away by being like, well, this is just a psychological thing entirely. No. What I think a lot of it comes down to is when they are able to do the things that they're really good at doing, then they're great. And when teams find those those aspects which they struggle with, they they they're really not great. And yeah. I, I think that maybe the the on pitch explanation that I gave to you when we talked about it over the weekend was that yeah. was that Jurgen Klopp has a very I don't want to say one-dimensional because that sounds patronising, but he has a very uh, set idea about the way that he wants yeah. his team to play. It's a consistent approach. Yeah, and they've they've lost a few players this season. They've got players getting older. So Virgil van Dijk's had an ACL um, injury and recoveries in that period. Things like that impact the way that they play. And if they don't have the players who are able to play at the peak level that they were at in the previous seasons, mm -hmm. then you you start seeing a drop-off. And, and it's one of those things as well where it's not just a slight decline. It's like... Either you can press aggressively and and you can stop opponents from targeting your high line, or you can't. And if you can't, then they just go over the top of the of, of your back line over and over again and cause you problems against yeah. isolated against the the, 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 the back line itself. When they were when they were like really really good, they used to play 
they used to almost get caught out with runs in behind mm. their defence constantly. And then Van Dyke would just put his arm up and the flag would go up and they'd be like, well, that was close. It's like, no, it was offside. That was the intention. And now if that just works less frequently, then mm. it creates loads of problems. I remember it's a bit fine like, margins. It is. And there is also an element of the seven-year, not curse, but you know how at Mines and Dortmund similar things happened where energy level sapped because the squad had reached the end of a kind of cycle. A lot of players were pushing 32, 33. And then all of these tiny little things kind of add up. Mm. I remember Liverpool fans used to get really annoyed because people would think that opposition teams had been better because they would remember the amount of offside chances that they had against them. And that, I mean, that's on the one hand, that's true, right? If, you know, an offside chance doesn't count, it's, it was not a legal way of trying to score a goal. But it was illegal. It was illegal, exactly. But if you, if you start getting those fine margins wrong, suddenly all of those chances do become legal. So there's, it's almost a sense in which that, that was a, a harbinger of what was to come. Because harbinger? Harbinger? Har. Harbinger. People say different things, soft, don't they? Soft G, I reckon. You think soft G? Mm. Harbinger. Steve Hankey? Harbinger. 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 Yeah, get wrecked. That's Je- three to Jamie one on you. Jamie's saying Harbinger. Four to one. Four? Wow. I've been saying Harbinger these whole... Sometimes I say Harbringer as well. You're just ungovernable, aren't you? Ungovernable. Yeah. Ungovernable. Speaking of ungovernable, Granite Xhaka, I just want to return to momentarily. Um... Because I've got a thought about this. I think things too. You, know? you tweeted at the weekend. I know, and I regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mistake. Um, but I thought, as soon as I saw this incident happen, and for people who didn't watch the game, uh, Arsenal have been attacking. They're on the left wing. They're kind of working it towards the box. And then Liverpool do a successful defend, as you call it in football. Um, uh, but Xhaka decides, who's uh, just chasing slightly after Trent Alexander-Arnold, it, it looks as though he decides, oh, I'm just going to leave a little bit in anyway. And he kind of nudges him a bit. It's very, I think it's very minor. Not, I don't think there's anything to be concerned with, personally. It was cynical. It, it was, was a I yellow think card. it was cynical, and I think it was a yellow card. But I don't think it, it wasn't as though, you know, he didn't sort of, you know. It wasn't like he elbowed someone in the face, right? He didn't elbow anyone in the face. Mm. No, he didn't do that, no. Anyway, it's something that you would expect the referee to stop play for and, you know, perhaps issue a yellow card and a telling off and, you know, there you go. It's also something I think you would expect from maybe a fair number of players. But in this situation, I think it's Granite Xhaka's reputation that kind of precedes him here. Uh, and the commentary team, who who incidentally are excellent, by the way, and this is not a dig against the, the commentary team, but they were they all sort of very quickly decided, I think, that, oh, that's Granite Xhaka, that's the kind of thing he does. It's really stupid. It's going to lead to blah, 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 blah. You know, you can see the, the Anfield crowd lifted immediately and Liverpool players seemed suddenly really up for it. Trent Alexander-Arnold rushed back in towards him and they had a little stagging headbutt thing, the thing they like to do with their heads. You know, it's very sweet, isn't it? Um, but uh, I felt like the narrative of the game was perpetuated for throughout the kind of following 10 minutes and at half time, where it, it, the finger was being pointed directly at Granite Xhaka and his sort as though like someone could have told you before the game that he would have done the thing that turned the game. Uh, and it was almost as though people thought Granite Xhaka directly, specifically caused that first Liverpool goal and uh, prevented Arsenal from winning with three points. I, just to make the, the point clearly, I'm not saying that that incident didn't change the game. I think it's very clear that it did. I'm just saying I think people were, were because of who Granit Xhaka is and his reputation, made a little bit much about that. Uh, and perhaps it was, it was too easy and uh, delightful a narrative to not. It's like reductive, isn't it? It's, I think it's post-hoc confirmation bias. Hoc. That's what it or is. whatever he just said. John McKenzie and his $10 phrases. Hey, come on. Oh, Almost like post-hoc ergo fro- proctor hoc. Post-hoc ergo hoc proctor frock. 
Are you Post speaking hoc, pig Latin? After after that. After that. I think he's oh, you can say it in English. Latin. Yeah. Post go, hoc, go er, ergo, therefore, mm-hmm. uh, propter hoc because yeah. of that. So it's this idea that because things happened after an event, they must have been causally linked to that event. I see. And is the, is the rule when you learn that that you have to repeat it in Latin? If you can so say it in Latin, smart, it's, it's, it's better, isn't it? Is it better? Yeah. What did Latin or what? It's yeah. actually a, the you're the kind of guy at parties where you say something and then people go, what's that? Oh, what's that? Yeah, I'll just explain. West Wing, right? Uh, I did enjoy the West Wing, although I never, I've, having watched it twice, I never finished it. Yeah, I've not, not finished it either, but yeah. very early on, there's an episode, I think, that is titled Post Hoc Ergo Proctor. Is that where you learned it? That's where I learned it. From mainstream it. culture. Mainstream culture. You're the kind of guy. Actually, I'm cool. You soak up these smart things, but from like just normal places. Yeah, exactly. But then you yeah. present as though you learned it at university. I wasn't reading Erasmus, no, I was watching. What's Erasmus? Stop putting in references that make Erasmus. me feel stupid. That's the, the father that, of the reference. That's the, the study of broadsky. You know, is it well. named after a man. Harbinger. Yeah, it is. Oh, right. actually, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's my Harbinger. Hmm. <laughs> okay, fine. One other thing we should say, Ruben Pinder, on this game mm. is uh, Aaron Ramsdale, terrific performance. Very good. He? And towards the end there, made a couple of crucial saves. Yeah, the the Canate one right at the end that caused the double screech from Carragher and Neville um, <laughs> was... Uh, Neville, th- Neville went into proper Fernando Torres yeah, mode, didn't yeah. he? Um, goalgasm mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goalgasm. Um, that, that save, I, I felt kind of bad for Canate there because it's at that horribly awkward height where he's thinking I'm going to head this and then it doesn't come up high enough yeah. so he has to like kind of try and chest it into yeah. there but yeah Ramsdale was excellent it was, and the, the deflected one from uh, was it a Saka shot at the yeah end? That, uh, no sorry Salah um, unreal uh, but yeah they miss they do miss Gabriel Saliba at the back thought holding is doing his best mm-hmm. but he's not quite at that level for um, sure the clumsy penalty things like that mm. but yeah Ramsdale was good what about the um, are we going to are we going to discuss elbow gate yeah I mean we probably should talk about elbow gate shouldn't we what happened? So the lino is walking over to the assistant referee. Room. Yeah, I love that. Referee. I love that he just goes straight with the lino there. It's not even linesman. He's like lino. Well, yeah. Lino is gender neutral. <laughs> he's doing the opposite of you. You're yeah. trying to appear more smart. He's trying right. to appear less smart. Upwardly and downwardly converging. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. We've got something for everyone. All that's of our true. listeners yeah. love us. Yeah. Half of them hate yeah. me, half of them hate him. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And all of them hate me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the assistant referee is walking over to their colleagues, <laughs> peers. And, <laughs> <laughs> We're making him double think everything. Yeah. Um, and Robertson. Uh, Andrew what, Robertson. Andrew Robertson mm. um, taps him on the arm or appears to hold his arm. Yes. And for what it looked like to me was the assistant referee lifted their arm to shrug the player off. Yeah, don't touch me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's self-defense without even any real intention of, of, it's of aggression. Yeah. This guy studied judo. He is absolutely hench as well. Mm. He actually help. studied judo. I don't know. I'm just um, making things up. That would be a great um, one. Though, wouldn't be good. Well, I believed it because he's, he's in great shape. And then... Mm. He caught Robbo. He's talking about the linesman, not you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just to clarify. <laughs> We're not going to HR afterwards. Um, he caught Robertson on the chin, yeah. which is understandable. Nobody enjoys being whacked in the face in any way, right? It's like Some people do. You, you see, well, each to their own. Hey, listen, but, we've all seen Fifty Shades of Grey, am I right? <laughs> Speaking of high-class culture. Please Keep going. Anyway. Plow on, um, plow we'll, on. We'll interrupt you more, but carry on. And then... Robertson is understandably frustrated and kicks off and Henderson is like going over to speak to the referee, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But this clamor to like sack this referee because he because he did that, I think it's like, yes, players, sh- players shouldn't touch referees. If Robertson doesn't touch him, he doesn't get an elbow to the chin accidentally. Yeah. And this is all within the context of a culture where referees are now 
almost terrified of players after, you know, the Mitrovic stuff that we discussed recently and the Bruno Fernandes one. It's like, just don't touch the ref and yeah. that won't happen. So I can kind of understand he's not even looking. He doesn't know where he is. He's not looking. Mm-hmm. He does that and it's an accident. So they've like stood him down while they investigate the the incident. But Personally, I think he, he should be set on fire and all of his, <laughs> all of his family should be yeah. murdered. That's what I think. But um, I don't know. I'm glad I don't Not make really. the decision. Well, Seems coincidentally, <laughs> that is what you wish had happened. <laughs> that is what I wish had happened, yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were talking about this yesterday, Ruben and I, when we were hanging out because we're friends. That's right. You went yeah. for a brunch, didn't we you? We did, yeah. yeah. Um, and we were saying that the concept of violence in football is like a weird one because people only seem to consider violence to be physical violence. Yeah. And yet, obviously, there is a scale of, of violence. So we were talking about how in the legal system you have assault and you have battery and assault is the threat to violence yeah. and battery is actually enacting that violence on someone, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like assault, 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 battery. As soon as it hits you, it's battery, right? Right. I, I feel as though in football we... I'm, I'm clipping that later. <laughs> We should be clear this doesn't constitute legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want legal advice, JJ and I do have a fantastic company that you should you should consult. But we were saying in football, uh, the, the assault aspect is is not... It's never ending. Yeah, it, essentially footballers can get in a, a referee's face and scream and swear in their face. Yeah. Which I think if you did that, if you did that outside of a football field, it would be constituted possible assault. Sure. Also, not to pick on him, Robertson is a bad offender for that, mm. I feel like, with assistant referees because he's always near the touchline. It's the ones near the touchline, He's yeah. always barking at them. Mm. But the thing that frustrates me is that they have this context where it's almost like it's, it's okay for you to be like yeah. verbally violent in, in, in the faces of other people. That's right. But then as soon as it goes over what this line, people are suddenly like, oh, this is well, this Well, that's is the too imaginary far. line that we've drawn in society, though, isn't it? That's how we keep a society at its phrase. <laughs> it's properly, <laughs> it's together. like sticks and stones applied to it a is, sport, yeah. isn't it? But it's important as a cultural tapestry because you have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> and I, I do think if you have you think it's fine millions people of people who are baying for blood on a daily <laughs> basis, and I listen, I'm one of them, you know, those three or four people I've seen today, love to murder them. Absolutely love to, <laughs> would love to get out there and get them and murder them. Are you Fam- saying that famously, the only thing that is stopping you from shouting in my face and then punching me that's, is, 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 is the um, illusion of society? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No. And the rules that hold the tapestry together. We're all fraying, you know. <laughs> as soon as you touch somebody, I, I don't think it's a perfect system. Uh, having said that, <laughs> I do think, I did imagine that too um, before I realised that the, the referee was just turning around and saying, take your hand off me. Uh, I, did, I thought, yeah. Give him one for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I don't condone violence. But you do but, enjoy it. Uh, my, my point is more that if you are allowing people to be violent to a certain point and then yeah. saying you can't go beyond that point, you can't be surprised when people get so annoyed no. that they get to that point and then overstep the mark. Well, of so. course, it's all meaningless, isn't it? It doesn't it is, matter. Yeah. It's just pretend. Yeah, These arbitrary I mean, I, rules I that agree. we've drawn for ourselves as a... As a society. Isn't it mad that in ice hockey they allow the players to fight? I, I quite like it. I know, I, I yeah. quite like it as well, but I do find but it's it like a star removed. Do you think we should do that in football? Yeah. You, you think, think we should so? just get Alexander Arnold and Xhaka? Just be like, fine, square you'd up. Have, you'd have to go. get like amateur boxing helmets on yeah, them. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, you give, you give them five seconds before you intervene. You know, and also you have to opt in. That. You have to opt in. It's only consent, consenting fighters, yeah. right? If, if before the game you say, no, I'm not, I'm not a fighter. Imagine the club, I'm a lover. The club's <laughs> their multi-million pound assets. Like, yeah, sure, that's five right. seconds. Let's go at it. Like, that's true. Way on one another. 80 pounds for Kylian Mbappe. Perfect. Oh, he's a fighter. <laughs> no, he can't pay that much money. 
the insurance will be he's very nightmare. angry yeah no maybe they should organize some sort of secret fight club situation where they can all uh, you know mm. fight each other underground they're not um, even allowed to go skiing i can't no. imagine that this will fly well that, i mean skiing is ridiculously dangerous you know we're talking about violence is one thing skiing <laughs> that's just ridiculous yeah i still not, still can't believe the fact that manuel neuer actually did that didn't he yeah, yeah he broke went, his feet. I can't believe that people do that. They stand on <laughs> things and go down. Have you, have you not been skiing? No. no, you must ski. I must. Ski. <laughs> yes, they say. No, it is great. Is fun. that where you learn Latin when you go? That's skiing? right. I yeah. decline nouns as I'm going down the slopes. Right. <laughs> a mo, a mass, a mat. There we go. Fine. Uh, oh, Steve Hankey's dropped something in the chat before we move on. The origin of the word harbinger. Well, I'm saying that correctly now. Harbinger uh, is a Middle English from the old French. Harberger, <laughs> uh, which roughly translates uh, as uh, to provide lodging for. Well, that's exciting, isn't it? The term originally denoted a person who provided lodging, later one who went ahead to find lodgings for an army or a nobleman and his retinue. Is that how you say that? Retinue. R- written, retinue. Sounds if you say all of the letters in the correct order, you'll get it. R- Retina <laughs> Retina sounds, sounds like a bit of a long-winded version of explaining Delightful. an estate agent slash landlord. That's true. Yeah. Although lodging, very different sort of uh, rules for lodging. It's presumably they were a harbinger because they would turn up before everyone else and be like, "The army's coming." Yeah. Well, that's true. You only you get you only really get a harbinger of doom in mm. the cliche, don't you? Well, you guess you could have a harbinger of happiness. Could you? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You're a bit of a harbinger of happiness, oh, thanks, aren't you? Man. I expect the happiness to arrive once you've left. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Can we talk about the title race? Because because we haven't mentioned it yet. We probably should, because of course, as the listener, I imagine, knows they're a football enthusiast. Of course they have all the information already. Um, that uh, this really threw the title race into a, sort of a bit of an unbalance there, John. Hmm. Why is that? There's six points now between Manchester City and Arsenal. Manchester City have a game in hand, and Manchester City and Arsenal have to play. Mm. Manchester City have a better goal difference, so if Manchester City beat Arsenal and both teams win all of their games, it then comes down to whoever scores the most goals in the remaining fixtures. That's true, yeah. Although, interestingly, you said if Manchester City beat Arsenal but both teams win all of their games. Apart from that game. That can't happen, can it? That can't happen. Yeah, but what you mean is if Arsenal win all of their games except that one, that's what you meant to say, wasn't I'm it? Struggling. Essentially, on that City are top of the, of the league. society. Theoretically, that society yeah. Im- imposed boundary between assault and battery right now. Now I said some weeks ago, cool guy as I am, <laughs> that I thought Manchester City were going to win the treble. Did you say that on here? I definitely said that you said to, it to you. Me. You did say it. I to think me. I said it on here, Steve Hankey. Could... I'm not remembering it. You don't no, I don't think you did. I I'm s- going to pretend you never said no, it. No, don't do that. <laughs> I texted it to you. I'll find it. I said it about a month ago, maybe even we more. We definitely talked about Six it. Six weeks ago, I you think said, I said it. You said you I feel. said, I just got a funny feeling. One of, one of those texts where, uh, you know, it's a win-win because uh, if it happens, I look amazing. If it doesn't, you just forget I said it because it's fine. <laughs> um, Ruben Pinder, after this game, my prediction feels a little more likely, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, especially... Uh, when you look at City Southampton, yeah, um, we I, should say before you carry on talking. Actually, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It releases on a Wednesday, and they do play Bayern Munich tonight. Yeah, so, so we it's haven't possible. We haven't seen that because it hasn't happened. Yet. By the time this conversation goes out, <laughs> they might have lost six nil to Bayern. But still, yeah. look, well, let's focus it on the Premier League then. Yeah. Um, City were incredible against Southampton, uh, a team they'd actually lost to earlier on in the season in the Carabao Cup. I think remarkable to think that. Yeah. Um, and they're they're in a really good run. Grealish in great form. Haaland's in great form. Eight wins in a row. Um, they've settled in a system that 
seems to get the best out of everybody. You know, they've adjusted to the absence of Zinchenko with like Ake kind of making that left-sided defender role his own. Um, and yeah, they've got a lot of momentum. They've got a deeper squad than Arsenal. So it does feel like they will eventually pip them to it. And if that does happen, the the kind of inclination for a lot of football fans will be to say that Arsenal have bottled it. Oh, bottles. It's still a good effort, though, isn't it? It's still a good effort. <laughs> it's one of his voices. Again. He's not another voice. South London milkman. That's uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bottles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have a milkman? I don't know. No. But if he, Shame. if I did, it would. Bottles. Would... <laughs> bottles, mate. Yeah, bottles. But that won't be what happens. It will just be no. that Arsenal gave it a really good go, and City have a better squad. Sure. Um, it, although to be fair, like that kind of depends on the manner. So if they completely capitulate against bad teams, not mm. the good ones, then I guess you could level that at them. But what is your prediction then? Do you think Manchester City will? Yeah, I think they'll do it on goal difference now. On goal difference. Yeah. John, what about you? Yeah, Man City feel as though they're in beast mode again, which always yeah. seems to happen at the end of the season. Um, so yeah, it all comes down to that fixture, doesn't it? I think there's more points to be dropped. Yeah, and I think we. I'll just have a quick look at. We might need to edit this bit out while I do this, but we'll, I'll have a quick look at. I'm um, sure the the viewers will look, enjoy. They want to. The last, time, okay, the last cool. time we were on this show together, you read out Arsenal's fixture list, and Did me I? and JJ seemed quite nonplussed by. It. We're like, well, what's interesting about that? And they have already dropped points. So there you go. I think. Um, look at that. Proven right once again. Yeah, that's well, why I've come back here. Just so people can tell me. Hated, I'm correct. adored, never ignored. Never that's ignored. You. Yeah, except for mother. City have got to play Brighton as well. So a really uh, interesting way of like using your phone, don't you? Uh, well, Is that I just because like you're this. on a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, when I stand outside, I normally go, yes, hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's Arsenal's fixture list, remaining fixture list for the rest of the season. You ready? And I feel I, like I'd I've, love I'm to having such of, a weird sense of deja vu yeah, right we've now. we've done this A little before, bit of tense yeah. music for the audio and the listeners. Steve, thank you here. Would be, would be fantastic. <sighs> West Ham. Southampton. Manchester City. Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton, Nottingham Forest, Wolves. That's a tough. Well, that's if they draw to. I'm, I'm assuming they drew. They draw to Newcastle and Brighton and lose to City. Yeah. The be, thing be is, everybody is else. Arsenal only need to draw against Man City, right? And then win all of their other games. True. Easy. Easier said than done. Yeah. I would say. Now Manchester City. Maybe a different sort of tense music, Steve? What do you think? Give him an extra job, have to find another Har- harbinger type of, of music? Harbinger of doom for the first one, but like harbinger of happiness for this one. Okay, let's see. Uh, Manchester City, uh, they, uh, on the 15th, which is four days' time, they play Leicester at home. Then they are, oh, they've got the FA Cup, of course, and they've got the Champions League. They've got uh, a number of fixtures more at the moment. Premier League only. Then Arsenal. Fulham, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, and they're at home to Chelsea, and they're away to Brentford on the last day of the season. And I feel like there's a lot of easier fixtures in that list than there are in Arsenal's You list. can't see any of those teams really giving them much fuss, can you? Chelsea, maybe. Brentford's a sort of, the, you know, spring a surprise. If, if Frank Lampard finds his magic wand, then yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Otherwise, no chance. Woof. What do you think then, John? Prediction, please. Yeah, City are going to do it. Okay. Well, there we go. Now, we've thoroughly upset the Arsenal fans. Let's move on and upset another team. Yeah? (laughs) After the break, we'll come back and uh, we'll talk more about another team. um, And then that'll happen. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ah, returning. Who shall we cast our ire upon? <laughs> it's Chelsea. Uh, well, this is bad, isn't it? Wolves won. Nil Chelsea. But of course, the big story of the week Daddy's home. <laughs> Daddy's come home. Back he went out for cigarettes, cigarettes yeah. two years ago, <laughs> and he's come back, and he's still as smart as ever, his daddy. Of course, by daddy, I mean Frank Lampard. Uh, now, Frank Lampard, he's, he's a rejoined Chelsea interim coach, I believe, until the end of the season. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. They used so. to call it caretaker, didn't they? But now, no, or is that caretaker and interim is a different thing? Is it a caretaker, a caretaker is when you just be, inherit it overnight yeah. because someone's gone. I think Interim is when you're appointed specifically for a short period of time. A short period. Okay, fine. I've answered my own question. Fine. Uh, <laughs> do you even you... need us here? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I probably could manage I mean, all this. we've learned today is that you were right about everything. That's true. Yeah. Although I was wrong about how to say harbinger. Oh, that's true. Yeah. What do you think about this then, bringing, bringing Lampard back? I, I just don't understand it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I understand why... They got rid of Potter. I can understand bringing in an interim coach, but I think bringing someone like Lampard back makes it less likely that they can make smart decisions in the future. Now, it may be the case that they're not very likely to make smart decisions in the future anyway, given the, the current track record. But I suppose there's, there's, there's two options here. One is that Frank Lampard does badly and... I mean, nothing. This arguably the easiest job in football right now because Chelsea are sort of, what, nine points? They've got a nine-point buffer. Maybe it's less than that. On they it. are... How far away between from who? Palace? You, you mean the relegation? Six zone? points. Yeah, we're six points off them now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not considering them as potential relegation candidates, but they're, they're not going to. 39 points after 30 games. And you're on and 33, right? Nottingham Forest are on 27. Now, I'm not worried about getting relegated, but <laughs> they're, not gonna drop, they're not going to drop below where they currently are, unlikely. No, but uh, although, probably not. Although Ruben, Ruben has, has a theory, which he will no doubt talk about it's, later. It's worth but. saying they are 17 points off top four, so there's also sure. no... They're not going to get... So what, what is... Either. There's nothing at stake here. So in that respect, like, whatever, it's fine. Daddy, Daddy can have the run of the mill. If he, if he does badly... You you sort of wasting good players and you raises the question why not just keep growing Potter till the end of the season anyway? Yeah, why not? If he does well, you then have a situation where over the summer the fans are just going to be pissed off if they bring someone else in. Daddy's back for good. Yeah, yeah. And so they've just for me it's just okay. The reason they've done it is no doubt to get the the fan base back on board because they seem very much not on board with the Todd Bowley project. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I just think it makes it harder for them to make it's that a, smart decision in the summer. It's a PR-driven decision this uh, to bring Lampard back because the fans love him. But so like they've brought him in as like a vibes man, yeah. And they will probably end up because I'm he's yet, kind of like a bez, yeah, with the 
with the Happy Mondays, yeah, you know, yeah, just to sort of like yeah. get it's, the it's crowd quite going. Young, you've got to make sorry, yeah, I but I've seen Peep Show, so I understand. See, we both get all of our cultural references from from famous TV shows, terrestrial television. But like. They'll probably bring him in once every 18 months to do this because Chelsea go through so many managers despite mm. the fact they're trying to change that culture. They've had three this season. Mm. Um, but the thing is, there is not that much evidence to suggest that he's a good coach. Like he didn't. There is some to there's a lot to suggest that he's a competent coach, though, at yeah. least for a short period like of fine, time. Right? But he's never actually massively like improved a team. Um, is that true? Well, uh, people will point to his time at Derby County. Uh, 6-6, to lost the playoff final, had Mount Tamori and Wilson on loan. Uh, th- that's what other people will also say. He's come with bullets yeah, in know, his gun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to claim that Frank Lampard is not a good coach, so yeah. I'm happy to accept that as well, decent okay. evidence. Let, but, me, but, let but me just offer example, an alternative right? before you continue talking. And I, 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 I obviously, I, should, I like to say this once every four weeks on the podcast. When we say that, we don't mean actually not good versus good because obviously they're all excellent. They are managers, coaches at very senior. Don't shake your head at me, John McKenzie. Obviously, they shake their head, shake their heads. He's, he hasn't got a coaching badge. He's just pretended. Uh, you know, they're, they're coaches and managers at, at these uh, top level teams. Even the championship is extremely elite level of football. What we mean is relative Relatively, to Pep Guardiola, yeah. for example. La- uh, Lampard hasn't shown that he's Pep Guardiola, but he has shown, obviously, obviously, that he's an extremely competent football manager because he's been a football manager at the top level. <laughs> that seems like a yeah, very low bar and, 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 has, and has achieved par everywhere yeah. or like just kept them where they are. So, but just to finish my original point, the PR yeah, Joe, vibes, let him finish. I would have let him finish if you hadn't have jumped in as well and also gone, yeah, he's shit, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get him. Let's get him. No, but seriously, um, <laughs> the vibes will only last yeah. as long as results improve. Yeah. So like, I saw so many Chelsea fans, club pages, like fan pages, sorry, mm. like losing their minds with excitement that he'd come back. Mm. That Nunes goal goes in at Molyneux and they're just miserable again. Yeah. And he will have to change the results for them to stay like kind of happy and keep that mood there. And it all will come basically down to this Real Madrid tie. If sure. they get spanked by Real Madrid, then no- nobody's happy. And no. it's just as rotten as it was. That's tr- I mean, that is a true point. And thus, you know, the, uh, the kind of... The net of that really is that football is a very deeply stupid game, isn't it? I was actually looking at the numbers. Actually, I think it was Nathan Clark, our good friend Nathan Clark, sent me this, mm. the expected points from understat for um, Arsenal and Chelsea since January the 1st. And we all know that Graham Potter's teams underperform their expected goals. But actually, since January the 1st, Chelsea were expected to pick up more points than Arsenal over that period. Isn't that really? interesting? Yeah. That is interesting. It blew my mind. Yeah, okay. I don't know if they had a lot more games or something, but well, tweaking the numbers, but... Imagine. Yeah. I guess we'll find out more about Chelsea and the Lampard project uh, over the next few weeks. Suffice to say, Daddy's home. Now, <laughs> what else should we discuss? Uh, Manchester United 2, nil Everton. I feel like this is on the running order because you want to talk about this. But podcast is becoming you. That's true. Well, I mean, the podcast... Do you want me to ask you the question? It's always been me, um, really, hasn't it? Joe, you, you watched this game and you had some interesting thoughts about Bruno Fernandes. I actually came up with an interesting question to ask you. Oh, really? Um, simply because Bruno Fernandes played a little deeper than I've seen him play for Manchester United. We won't linger on this game because it's not, not of um, huge consequence. But uh, he played in an eight role uh, alongside Scott McTominay, I think. And it was um, Sabitzer who played up more forward as the ten. It, 
it, Bruno Fernandez's kind of a game reminded me of late stage Rooney, you know, sort of playing those kind of hero Hollywood passes. Like skulls kind of 9, 10. Kind yeah, of the Skulls yeah. vibe, exactly. Um, is this something that they've tried before? Or is this something that, you know, well, ten, I, I've actually missed a lot of games recently, I feel like. Well, Ten Hag, I guess, is struggling with the fact that he's got Casemiro out for on a suspension and, and Christian Eriksen injured. And he's been messing around with the, the midfield. And so, obviously, Man United have two... Well, they have midfield three. Usually, you would you would consider them to have two eights and a, and a pivot player. Mm. Um, but actually, one of the eights usually drops alongside the pivot player in build-up. Um, you would expect a 10 to usually be like a more creative player, but he's been using... He's used Scott McTominay there the week after the international break because he likes to, and, and we've seen him use that vague there as well, he likes to have um, a good out-of-possession player in that sort of position as well. Yeah. And I think the, the general problem that Manchester United have been struggling with is how do you progress the ball? And Because um, Eriksen's been injured, of course, and he's the player who would normally play in that deeper eight role. Yes, exactly, in the halfway between an eight and a ten. Mm. Um, so they've, a nine. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> An eight and a half. An eight and a half. Yeah. 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 Anyway, th- this is, I think, the next step in, the, in that evolution. But I, I, part of the problem with playing in that way is that Bruno Fernandes is maybe not the most press-resistant press player, uh, maybe not the best technical player in terms of holding the ball. And so what we've been seeing actually happening a lot is Luke Shaw inverting inside because he does have the ability to to sort of play that pivot role a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And Bruno Fernandes then switching out into the wide channel just to give him a bit more space on the on the ball so that he can then play those those um, those forward passes so um, whether or not we'll see this in the long run I don't know but it's it's all part of Eric Ten Hag trying to find a solution to the fact that actually he has quite a limited skill set of midfielders and when you have two of them out he's actually struggling to take the upside there it feels like he wants a Bruno Fernandes in build-up and a Bruno Fernandes in the number 10 position as well can't play him in both positions but I do think it kind of works a bit better in possession to have Bruno a bit deeper and McTominay a bit higher up because in the past, like especially under Solskjaer, when McTominay had played as that deeper midfielder, it, it felt like he would almost hide from the ball a little bit. And if that sounds a bit harsh, then he just wasn't that good at taking it on the turn and progressing it through the lines. So I do think that more advanced role where he can bomb up and down, use his athleticism and his height. Like the goal he scored against Everton was really good. Nice late run, lovely pass from Sancho. He's much better up there. Box than, crashing. Yeah. Um, but I think we... I've been quite harsh on McTominay over the years because he's been kind of sold as like this all-round more defensive midfielder. But I think that's probably not what he's best at. And now we're seeing a slightly different side of him. And all it took mm. was two goals versus Spain. Mm. And then everyone was like, oh, he's the next Lampard. Indeed. The narrative shifts. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the narrative and speaking of something else that I saw last week that I had questions about, um, let's bring in... Uh, Herr Stafford Bloor, Mr. Sebastian Stafford Bloor, to discuss the ongoing situation at Newcastle with us after this pretend cut that makes it look like it wasn't a cut. Uh, we're, at this point in the show, we're joined by uh, your friend and mine, Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe. I am everybody's friend. Hello. <laughs> That's very presumptuous of you, isn't it? Although I did say that at the beginning. <laughs> Speaking of friends, we all need friends from all across the world. Uh, is that a good intro? Maybe it's not the best link. But anyway, um, there was a big story that dropped last week, uh, Seb, written by Adam Crafton, released on The Athletic. Lots of emails. It's always fun when a piece has lots of emails in it. But why were these emails more interesting than the ones that I receive on a daily basis? Well, I send you quite a lot of emails, so I would dispute that. But in this particular instance, these emails seem to describe 
the UK government's level of interest in the Saudi takeover of Newcastle or mm. uh, the public investment funds uh, takeover of Newcastle. And uh, yes, yeah, so Adam Crafton's reporting contains a whole bushel of emails um, which have been uh, sourced from a public information request. And yes, they describe in some detail the, the level of detail in which, um, or the level of interest that the UK government had. And one of the problems beyond the sporting aspect of this is it flies in the face of what the UK government said at the time. So Boris Johnson was once asked about uh, his role in the takeover and at the time when the Premier League was considering the takeover. And at the time he said that uh, this was a match for the Premier League and that it was an independent matter and that the UK government had um, no interest in it or was was um, paying no part in it at all. And after Adam's reporting, Johnson was approached for comment again and said, well, that's that's a matter for government, isn't it? Which is a strange way of... Uh, yeah. It is strange. Yeah. It's also worth saying uh, a part a part of Adam's uh, reporting. I'll I'll read it to you now. Um, the public investment fund is also funding is also the funding power behind the controversial live golf competition, which we've talked about on the on the podcast previously with you, Seb. Which is of course at the moment engaged in a legal dispute with the long established PGA Tour in the US. And last month, the Premier League was urged by Amnesty International to re-examine assurances given by Newcastle's Saudi owners that the Gulf state would not have control of the club following uh, the filing of a new court document. So I suppose the thing that's interesting about these emails, is, as you state, is um, that, you know, despite the fact that we were kind of told at the time that the UK government had no role in this, really, that they appear to have had a, a role uh, would presumably, again, suggest that the link between the Saudi state and the football club is there, even though they're saying it isn't. Yes, I mean, that's a, a matter for the Premier League, Joe. But let me read you a text which was first reported by the Daily Mail in June 2020. It's from uh, Mohammed bin Salman to Boris Johnson. Um, and it reads, The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has opened its doors for the UK's investments in various sectors, initiated a mutually beneficial investment programme with large amounts of funding. The Premier League's wrong conclusion will unfortunately have a negative impact on both our country's economic and commercial relations. Now, that's um, MBS. Sorry, that's a text. That is a text reported by the Daily Mail. Very formal for a text message, isn't it? Normally, they would be more informal. But anyway, what does that mean, Seb? Very difficult to know, Joe. It's a very vague situation, but it certainly seems to suggest a level of government intervention that previously we didn't believe to exist. And it obviously flies in the face and contradicts what Johnson has said in the past, what Johnson said in the House of Commons about government's intervention in what was a Premier League decision. Obviously, remember that the Premier League said that um, the reason they waived the, the takeover through was because they'd received legally binding assurances. And this, this reporting by Adam, um, describes a situation in which uh, government has uh, shown the intention to impress upon the Premier League the importance of the takeover within the context of the overall economic relationship between Saudi Arabia and the British government. So what that all means, I'm not entirely sure. Well, I mean, the obvious question is, is anything going to happen? Because, I mean, we had this conversation about Live Golf a couple of you know a couple of months ago and it seemed as though that uh, shed new light on the reality of the relationship and perhaps not now we're having this conversation which again i think is a really good example of something which sheds new light on the relationship does anything happen as a res- as a result of that really hard to say so you, you can argue it both ways you can you can take either perspective so the live golf situation 
seem to suggest that um, Yasser El Ramayan, who is a, the the chairman of Newcastle United, should be privileged within the scope of that Live versus PGA court case because he was a member of government, that he was a not just an average yeah. citizen. Acting on behalf of a, of a sovereign nation as well. A- exactly that, exactly that. On the other hand, which seemed to be a kind of a smoking gun for people who wanted to find one, right? Whereas in this instance, the relationship between or the implied relationship between the British government and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the kind of the uh, meshing together of the various economic interests would seem to suggest that uh, any action by the Premier League is also far less likely because it wouldn't seem to be in the national interest or the British national interest. Very, very hard to form a, a definitive conclusion on any of that. Also on the basis that all of this is unprecedented. From the takeover to the live golf situation to the revelations reported by Adam, which are well worth a read if you get the chance, just because there's so much more than what we've described within them. It's an amazing bit of reporting, actually. But uh, what happens next is there's no there's no guidebook, there's no manual for how this will play out, or even what the Premier League's role within it actually would be when you have a, a sporting organisation that's a kind of a a bit plot role player within something which is obviously much larger. Uh, it's um, very difficult to say <laughs> legally. <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thanks very much. For, oh, it's lovely to see him, isn't it? Isn't it nice to see Seb Stafford-Bloor? There he is. Like looking his... in a mirror. And have we had him on the podcast since he's got his new glasses? We, we have not. Extra ability to see the detail there. And obviously also looks a lot like John McKenzie. I, I can see and I no longer have a headache sort of in return for that i can actually see without experiencing pain it's a lovely experience Hmm. seb and i did have a long conversation the last time we had a meeting about the experience of getting glasses for the first time Mm, when you're a little bit older yeah because you forget how beautiful the world is did did you not have them i didn't have them until i was about 28 you you strike me as someone who came out of the womb with glasses (laughs) (laughs) that's just discrimination on the part of my general it's not discrimination it's just rude but he's calling you a nerd he's 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 calling me a massive neek is what he's calling me (laughs) what does that mean i think it's a portmanteau of the word nerd and geek yeah can you imagine the kind of person that would know that and know the word portmanteau (laughs) if you ask me questions i'm going to answer them sorry thank you that's why you employed me well uh say goodbye to seb now Bye, Seb. Bye, John. <laughs> I do catch I catch glimpses of him when we're having Zoom meetings, and I'm like, is that me? I'm, I'm looking good. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. You still look the same. Thanks, man. Now, listen, uh, we'll be uh, back after the break with more, but uh, until then, and then I guess into the future, we'll, we'll see Seb Stafford-Bloor again. Bye, Seb. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Okay, what a delightful break. Mmm, a lovely break. Now, Leeds won five Crystal Palace. Now, guten tag and goodness me. What a result this was. A surprise result, even after the first half. This, of course, for uh, less... Uh, familiar listeners, is the uh, Mackenzie-Pinder derby here, <laughs> where you've got uh, old man Mackenzie, who's a lead supporter, and baby boy Pinder, <laughs> who's a young whippersnapper Palace fan. Um, the young, very happy today, John, weren't they? The old dying. Yeah, well, it's, it's always nice to see the old... <laughs> it's always nice to see the young happy, so... <laughs> Uh, I suppose th- it's the better way around. Um, but yeah, when you get to my age, th- the chances of seeing Leeds win become fewer and fewer. And yeah. Especially when you are. throw eight players forward at once. Yeah, it was a weird game in many respects. I think the, the general consensus was the Leeds played quite well before their goal. Yeah. After the goal, the momentum sort of slightly shifted. Because they went one up. They went one up. And from maintained a, from that uh, for yeah. almost the entire first half. Then Crystal Palace... Equalised. Equalised at the death of half-time. The death of half-time, yes. Yeah, first half, I mean. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then obviously the second half was a capitulation, as, as we um, as we mentioned. But uh, yeah, Leeds are an interesting proposition at the moment because I think a lot of people have this narrative that Jesse Marsh is this, this counter-pressing coach who does lots of pressy stuff and um, actually was like defensively open. Um so you get upside from the counter-pressing, but actually downside from the fact that you often commit players in, into in, into situations where your structure is just open to be attacked. That was how this game felt to me, uh, weirdly. So Leeds, I thought, were pretty good in, in the first 20 minutes, largely because they were very good at, at putting pressure on Palace in their build-up, stopping them from getting the ball into the Leeds half. I, I One of my friends who is on the All Stats on We podcast looked at the high regains that both teams um, worked. And I think Leeds picked up about 15 high regains in the first 20 minutes, which is more than they picked up for the rest of the game after that. And after that point, it swung in favour of Palace. So Palace were winning the ball higher up a lot more. Um, so, it, yeah, it felt to me very much like Leeds were... were um, able to be aggressive for the first 20 minutes and as a result were able to largely control the game, keep the ball in the the opposition's half mm. and generate some chances. The intensity drops off after the first goal and Palace are given more time and space on the ball and as a result of that they're able to start exploiting some of the defensive weaknesses that Leeds have. So it was a it was an interesting game I think from the point of view of the narrative because I think a lot of people have wanted to have this narrative that Jesse Marsh was here and Javi Gracia is here and that never the twain shall meet. Mm. But we've built a squad that is largely better in those intense moments of pressing then we have uh, controlling the ball in possession. Yeah. And so, it, you, you know, you end up with this situation where, yes, okay, maybe the manager might want to play more uh, attractive possession-based football. But if you don't have the, the squad players to be able to do that, it doesn't yeah. really work. And so, yeah, it, the big question is what happens in the summer? Do you do you give this guy a chance to like rebuild the squad in his own image or do you... Well, let's come back and talk about Leeds because there's mm. something else I want to ask you about uh, as well. But let's uh, go on to Crystal Palace for now where granddaddy's back. Isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> granddaddy's back. It, extra surprise. It's, uh, it's genuinely like incredible the complete transformation of this team. That's two games in a row. They've gone a goal down and come back to win. Mm. And I was thinking like to what extent was this... Palace being good or Leeds capitulating. And it does feel like they made it very easy for Palace to just cut through them. Like there were so many counterattacks that were kind of 4v2, 3v2. Um, and when you have players like Elise and Eze confident in, in form, 
and fit, then they can do damage to kind of leaky defenses. And mm. Olise was in particular brilliant. Um, he got three assists from open play and became the youngest player to do that in Premier League history. Wow. Which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, that is impressive. But the, so now it feels like, and this is a Crystal Palace without Wilfred Zaha as well. That used to be there, the kind of crutch of, I don't know, we hadn't won without him for, you know, two or three years or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but now it does feel like there is a good foundation there to build on. Don't know if that'll be Hodgson. Uh, most likely not. But it also feels like Gahey or Elise will probably have to leave in the summer mm. so that we have some money to spend. So I'm I'm going to enjoy this run while it lasts because we've got a nice run in. Yeah. Um, it and, also seems yeah. like, you know, that's two, two victories on the, on the bounce, right? And now uh, Palace, 33 points. They're in 12th place. They are... Six points off the off the drop zone at the moment, and, and you six, just feel and like six points off Chelsea, and six points off Chelsea. You you, you <laughs> feel like maybe I mean that's not them safe, but at least they the have, current trajectory and the momentum, pretty much. Yeah, they have okay. an incredible run as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. We've got Southampton next, and then Everton. Right. So, so, there's yeah. there's just a lot of games where they could feasibly win. Yeah, so, like watching yeah. watching that game felt like, other than like the big two, uh, well the top two at the moment, <laughs> it feels like that team on their day can get a result against anyone in the league like I mean I wouldn't go that far but I'm not a Palace fan so well no but like that Palace performance if they're all fit like if Wilfred Zaha comes back into their team and they play like they do with that kind of confidence and, and verve then they could nab a point against Newcastle you know like it... maybe they're not going to be playing Leeds every week though so well let's go back to Leeds and we'll talk more about what they do or don't do in the in the future on uh, future episodes mm. of the podcast John but uh, very specifically something happened this week with a related to a player transfer which is very odd. Yes, the Jean-Kevin Augustin transfer saga sagaed on. Mm. Um, so for those people who don't know, Jean-Kevin Augustin was a player that we signed when we were in the championship on loan um, with an obligation to buy at the end of the season, but it was during the pandemic season. And when it got to the end of that season, Leeds refused to pay the transfer fee because he met the obligation uh, on the basis of the timing of the of the contract um, and the way that the contract was written up because the season ended beyond the date on the contract where it said by this date if Leeds have stayed up yeah um then we maybe it was in the I've, I've got promoted I can't remember the, the the details but either way he hit the obligation point is there was a there was a minor uh you know yes. clerical discrepancy which Leeds believed meant they, that they didn't have to actually have to sign pay. this player yeah it was found Later, they did have to pay for this player, and so Leeds have ended up paying £15 million for, to RB Leipzig, who the player belonged to at the time, um, as, as compensation for that. By which time the player's already gone. Yeah, so they've, they've refused... To, yeah, they've, they've not played the player. He's gone off on loan somewhere. I think he went to France or something, mm. um, maybe even on uh, full transfer. But now it's raised its ugly head again because the, the player's clearly sued for, for damages, so claiming that for a loss of, I guess, loss of earnings, but also impact on... Um, on, on future career prospects as well to the tune of I think around 25 million pounds sure. and so I think the club are going to contest it but if it doesn't go through which given that the, the original court case did go through it suggests that Leeds are going to end up paying 40 million pounds for a player who played I think f- 48 minutes for, for us that's nearly a million pound a minute Yes, I hope it happens because that's quite a good uh, YouTube title for a TIFO video in the future. The million pound a minute football. Or the worst, is this the worst transfer of all time? Yeah, I think mine's better, but you know. This is very much an off-camera discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. Well, anyway, that's Leeds and Crystal Palace. We'll move on now to quickly discuss uh, Leicester. Now, Leicester, they're in real trouble. 
it would it would appear. Um, they lost a nil one to Bournemouth over the weekend, and there was a sort of interesting uh, story movement yesterday. Ruben Pinder. It appeared for much of the day that Jesse Marsh might be the man replacing uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City. But this morning I woke up to Dean Smith. Uh, he was in my bedroom. <laughs> he said, I'm the new Leicester City manager. I'm here for a bit with Craig Shakespeare as my assistant, um, not Jesse Marsh. That's kind of odd, wasn't it? Um, what, the fact that he was in your bedroom? Yeah, yeah really just weird. Just to announce the news. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. I was nude. <laughs> Lucky him. Um, it was. <laughs> it's, it's an odd one, yeah. I think Leicester are kind of doomed regardless. Um, you think so? It's so toxic there. Even now Rodgers is gone. The fact that they didn't, they haven't bounced back with good result mm. is uh, is concerning. Um, I've spoken to a couple of a few friends who support Villa and Norwich, and I'm getting very mixed reviews of Dean Smith. There's a lot of right. justification for why he couldn't have kept Norwich up, but then also, if we remember, he kept Aston Villa up. Thank you uh, to thank you to thanks to weird, <laughs> weird way of saying it. Isn't it? That's strange. Thanks to. Uh, yeah, I should play with it though. Just say it all again, but say it. Thank you to. <laughs> And if we remember Aston Villa, he kept them up. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, man. Um, and he kept Aston Villa up. Thank you, too. I can't do it. It sounds ridiculous. Who, who anyway, are you gonna, who's who it thanks to? Well, if, I'll try and finish my sentence. He kept Aston Villa up because the goal line technology failed. Do you remember that? When the keeper carried the ball into the net against oh, Sheffield yeah. United and didn't count as a goal. Oh, yeah. um, do you, you want to say thank you to the goal line technology? Um, well, I don't really care whether Villa stay up or go down, to be honest. But, um, so, I, is he good? Who knows? Who he, knows? He did all right at Villa, then kind of hit... A, like well, Brentford, After they he? stayed up, he kind of did all right, hit a ceiling. But then Gerard did worse. So yeah. maybe he will keep them up. Who knows? Craig Shakespeare, I think, is a more important uh, right. element of that appointment. Big shout. The assistant's more important. I like it. Mm. He's won a Champions League tie, hasn't he? Or match, at least. That's with, Craig with Shakespeare. Leicester, yeah. yeah, with Leicester. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. Here he goes. Where'd you learn that? In a book, was it? <laughs> Did you learn it in a book? Uh, okay, fine. Anyway, we, we, we don't have time. We've run out of time. Sorry, Leicester fans, that we've run out of time, and also that you're getting relegated. <laughs> Sorry about that. But focus on the positives. <laughs> you're not getting Jesse Marsh, so you'll be fine. Well, there's more salt here in the football, football podcast. God, you hate all the coaches. Chips with all salt. List them. Who's the worst ones? Who do you hate the most? Who do I hate the most? Yeah, but hate with actual emotion, and not one that you'll look at the camera afterwards and say, "I was just joking." One that you actually hate. Well, you're my manager, and I hate you. Let's discuss the relegation battle now. <laughs> Crystal Palace, as we've already mentioned, they're top of the screenshot here included by Steve Hankey, but I think we think they're safe. Uh, 31 points. Wolverhampton Wanderers. West Ham still deep in there as well. 30 points. I mean, it's a big big week for David Moyes. Uh, Bournemouth, Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, Leicester City, Southampton. Southampton, I feel like we've just kind of consigned. I don't know if that's fair. They're still, still very much within reach of exiting. Uh, eight games left for uh, most of these teams. Nine for West Ham. Um, you fear for West Ham yeah. you really do because they've also got a European tie to balance yeah. and they've got quite a difficult uh, run of games they're only three clear at the moment they've still got to play uh, oh play, this, play the tense music Steve <laughs> yeah okay go <laughs> they've still got to play Liverpool Manchester City Manchester United and of course the mighty Crystal Palace but, um, That's hard. Roy Hodgson and and a Crystal few other Palace. teams that they probably could beat. Right. But uh, 
yeah, I f- uh, I fear for them. And if they do go down, of course, they'll get nowhere near as much as they probably should for Declan Rice and yes. other good players. That's very much true. OK, fine. Well, that's the Premier League done for. Uh, a suggestion of teams there that might go down. A suggestion of teams that might go up from the National League. The starring uh, fixture of the weekend. Big in America, John. The National League. This was Wrexham 3 to Notts County. Um, you guys went and watched this together, didn't you? At the pub. At the pub. It was uh, on on the TV. It was on the television yeah. in a pub. And that should give you some, you know, the National League. Uh, this is the fifth tier of football. It's on the TV. It should give you some estimation of the, the scale of this. Now, Wrexham and Notts County, I believe, both started the tie with 100 points in the National League. Third place, Woking, 76. The difference is quite significant, isn't it? Um, I can't remember who tweeted this, forgive me. Excellent tweet, someone pointing out that it is kind of a travesty that the second-placed team uh, with over 100 points may well not make it through the the, the, the playoffs. And Brian Reynolds said as much in his in an interview with BT Sport. He really? said there should be more than one automatic spot. They're probably I mean, He should. would say that, but he he's also would. probably right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we would go. Would have made it a lot less dramatic for his TV show, though, wouldn't it? Well, it would. And the drama you reference, John McKenzie, is, of course, that uh, Wrexham scored three, Notts County scored two, but Notts County had a penalty in 90-plus five minutes, saved by Ben Foster, the yes. draft-in celebrity goalkeeper. <laughs> the, cycling, the cycling goalkeeper. The cycling goalkeeper. The, um, the goalkeeper who occasionally uses a bike. Yeah, who <laughs> I think I would imagine last night went to bed thinking, I've made a really good decision. <laughs> <laughs> I've made an excellent decision. Just repeatedly saying, what a freaking save. What yeah, a freaking legend. And I it am. was a good save, <laughs> it wasn't was a good it? Save, save. Yeah, it was a, it was a great game, wasn't it? It was it was, fantastic game. For everything me. happened. It was the standard was very high. I heard JJ was saying. Yeah, well, Notts County play really good football. Um, Wrexham, I think Wrexham got the game plan really, really well. They yeah. they stopped Notts County from doing what they they do so well. They Notts County play possession football. They move they move. They're do, they're doing positional stuff in the National League, which is right. nuts. Um, Wrexham really good. They they stopped County from Notts County from being able to do what um, what they do so well and. We're trying to exploit their high line. They have a really high line, um, and and they were just constantly trying to get Paul Mullen in behind. Uh, and obviously, it it went quite well. But Notts County actually went up through a free kick. So everything was just perfect. They mm. went up through a free kick, probably not really deserving it. Um, Wrexham then come out and score a goal early on in the second half after Paul Mullen just fouls one of the centre backs, runs through and scores, but it's allowed to. It's the national to stand. league, yeah. And then they go and and, and score at the uh, well, Wrexham score again, uh, a legitimate goal, just a really nice again getting over the back line, hitting Mendy. the ball across the the box to the to the left back Mendy. Um, but the, and, and it looks like like game over. But then um, uh, Kyle Cameron pops up at the back post because. Not uh, Wrexham starts sitting deeper. Yeah, allows this is what Notts happened County. in the game. This was isn't exciting. It? Yeah, um, and they, yeah, they got the ball to the back post. Um, I think it was Sam Austin really, really changed the game for for Notts County, but also Wrexham was sitting deep, two two, and you think, oh, you know, the game on now. This is this is this could go either way. This is this is exciting. Immediately, Wrexham just have a defensive mix up, not that's mix right. up, mess up. Out of nowhere, Stan Lee, Stan Lee. <laughs> that's right, Spider-Man. the creator of Marvel. 
yeah, no, actually, this is Elliot Lee, who Elliot is the Lee. son of Rob Lee, who used to play for Newcastle. Oh. Uh, but, the, yeah, basically, again, the ball comes in, but the, the defender just kind of passes it back. He tries to flick it with the back of his heel, yeah. just plays it straight to Paul Mullen, who can just lay it off to, to Guy. So immediately, it's back to 3-2. Get to extra injury time, and then they win a penalty to, for make it go 3-3, oh. and the penalty is saved. So it was just High a really drama. great end-to-end game where yeah. anything could have happened. It was disappointing that Notts County weren't able to show how good they can be, but I thought it was a really good game plan for them from Wrexham and it was just a great a great advertisement for the lower leagues well also I mean I am uh, unironically excited to watch that bit of season two documentary <laughs> I haven't watched so this is technically a spoiler for no, you this, it, isn't it? So it is a spoiler I don't know anything else you don't need to happens. watch it now because I gave you the most exciting I, sort of, yeah. dramatic reading no I, have you not seen any no, of it no is it good it, do you know what it is good mm. uh, it, it is it is good and it also it's quite creatively made it's not okay. like the other ones any Latin right. phrases in it there's plenty of Latin. Oh, really? You'll Maybe I'll love watch it. it. Yeah. yeah. There's so. In fact, I had to <laughs> turn to the subtitles on because of how much Latin there was in the Wrexham documentary. <laughs> that was Welsh. Yeah. Uh, well, indeed, it was. There we go. It's all the same, isn't it? Really. Um, Dwin Harvey Peldroid. Hey. Mm. Uh, Dwin Dwin Harvey Peldroid. Really, though, because uh, you know it's Dwin, a very boring. Dwin. Coffee, coffee. Um, okay, that was that's that, and obviously worth saying that uh, the season is not yet over. Wrexham three points ahead now, uh, as we alluded to before. Only one promotion place, so it's really hotting up for the end of that documentary that we'll all watch in about a year. Okay, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you to Baby Boy Pinder. Thank you. Um, and, Go on, do it. <laughs> and Jonathan Doc McKenzie. Yeah, there we go. yeah. yeah. Woof. <laughs> there he goes. Woof, woof. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long time. Oh dear. Uh, Seb Stavablor for joining us earlier. Uh, Gordon Tag, uh, muchas gracias. No, that's the <laughs> wrong yeah. language. Danke schön. Danke schön, Herr Stavablor. And, of course, to uh, producer Steve Hankey. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. And uh, to uh, video producer Jamie, who's had his hand up in the air the whole time. He's resting his hand very high up in the air. Strange. What a strange young man he is. <laughs> there we go. Fine. Listen, we'll be back next week with more from football. Uh, of course, the Champions League's happening. Maybe we'll talk about that. And other footballs. Uh, until then, <laughs> goodbye. Athletic.